came in, you received a worship program, and on the back, it's what's called a Connect card. If you filled that out and put it in one of the giving boxes on the way out, uh, that would give us the information we need to help follow you up and then help you take your next step in your spiritual journey here at the chapel. That would be our privilege to help you out. So, great. Some things I want to make sure you're aware of, but first of all, let me just say, in this exciting and national holiday tonight, I'll give you three options in the room here. How many Chiefs fans? I said, I said hands, not voices. How many 49ers fans? And how many, like, I really don't care one bit. Uh, yeah, okay. Because we're Browns fans or Lions fans, you know, that's who we want to win. Anyway, in light of the national holiday, we have a change in our high school programming, uh, which typically meets tonight. I wish, I wish I was that age again. I'm very close, but I cannot squeeze into that age group. They have so much fun every Sunday night right next door at the student center where they, uh, they have fun, they sing, they have fun food, they do fun games. They learn the Bible using what's called the SOAP method, uh, and just where they just learn God's word, and they learn how to discern God's will in their lives as they study the scriptures, uh, uh, as they make decisions through the, through the filter of scripture. Uh, but tonight, uh, it's, it's, they're not meeting. Today at 11.30, right after the service, right across the hallway in what we call Volunteer Central, they're going to be having uh, pizza and fun food and uh, just enjoying stories from one another. So if you are in a high school ministry, you know somebody who's, who's a student in high school, uh, that's where you need to be uh, at the end of the second service, uh, 11.30 this morning. All right? Great. Super. I want to make sure you're aware of this, too. We've announced this before, but we're coming close to the end of our registration. We have some short-term missions that are going out. Let me tell you about each one. Let me start with, well, Ecuador, that's filled up, and they are, they're on their way. But let me tell you about Burundi. We started there 10 years ago. We adopted a village. We're coming to the end of that adoption process. We call it village transformation. It's amazing what has happened. But now we are adopting a new village, and this team will be stepping into this village for the very first time. They are, these are the Batwa people. They are pygmies. They are among the poorest people in the world. And it's just remarkable to give clean water, uh, food, shelter, but also to help them know about Jesus. We'd love to have you be on this team. You don't need a special skill. Just come and be willing to show the love of God. All right? That, that's, one, that's one team. The other one is Mexico. Let me tell you about Mexico. This is, a, as an individual, you can go, but as a family, you can go. And there we are ministering to individuals and families there. Lots of kids. And uh, it's just, it's, it's a wonderful, it's an easy ministry to step into. And we're with one of our longest tenured partners, uh, Dayspring Outreach Ministries in Mexico. And then a place we went to the first time last year, Basque Country in northern Spain. I just got to tell you, it is absolutely beautiful there. And it looks very much like here. It's very western. The difference is there would be no church there like this, or even smaller. There are no churches there that teach the Bible. It's just remarkable, and we are there coming alongside missionaries, helping them to establish a platform from where they can build relationships and share Christ. And so we go, and we work with kids, and we interact with the community, and we just help the missionaries there. It's a, it's a wonderful place to be. 
love to have you be a part of it. But we need for you to register. Some information uh, is there's a card with all this information on the screen out at the Welcome Center. Um, I would say this. Don't be fearful. Don't be afraid. Don't let money stop you from going. We'll help you figure out ways to get that money. So uh, we'd love for you to be Kobe apart and just see how God opens your eyes to the world and how he uses you and works through you. All right? Great. Well, with that, we want to get to God's word. Can we pray together, please? God, thank you now for this opportunity to look at your word. We've already sung to you. Now we get to hear from you through your word. I pray that you would find each of our hearts ready, inclined to hear from you, and that you would give um, wisdom to Pastor Charles as he shares from Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Charles. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Greetings from our Norwalk campus. If you don't know me, my name is Charles. I'm typically at our Norwalk campus, but it's good to be with you today as we're going to continue in our message series, series on thriving out of 1 Thessalonians. And so if you have your Bibles or your smartphones and you want to open them up to 1 Thessalonians, I'll put some of these scriptures on the screen too. We're going to be in chapter 5 and 4 short verses, just 12 through 15. So let's see what, uh, how, Paul, how Paul begins this. He says this, as he's ending the letter, Paul's final advice, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work, and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. So, as I said, Paul is beginning to wrap up this first letter to the Thessalonian church that he's writing. And, and as he's laid out these previous four chapters of this letter in what seems like some great detail, but now as we get towards the end of this letter, it feels a little to me like he's cramming in as much as he possibly can. It kind of made me think of when you're having a conversation with someone over coffee and you've had a great time and then right as you get up to leave, you remember all these things that you wanted to say that you had forgotten about. And so Paul's cramming a bunch of stuff in. And it's at this point in Paul's life and in his ministry, he's seen some things. He's experienced some things. He's seen some things with the church, some good things and maybe some not so good thing, Paul has seen and knows some of the pitfalls that can happen to a young, thriving church. And so now he's writing to this church in Thessalonica, and he has reason for concern, right? We know some of these reasons. We know that this church is, is young, much like our church is young. And not only are they young, but they're, they're sitting in the middle of this community of people who were definitely not living to honor God. And so as they were, as they were working to live out their faith and their trust in Jesus, they're finding that the community is persecuting them for their beliefs. They had a lot of things fighting against them. Paul had reason for concern, and we know he loves these people. We know Paul loved this church. The last thing Paul wanted to do was to see them struggle like he had seen so many other struggling churches before. It's as if Paul's saying to them, look, 
you got to be careful. I've seen some things and I've experienced some things and you got to watch out for some stuff. It's almost like if you're a parent in the room, you know this well. Because we have lived through some things. We have some experiences our kids don't have yet. We have some knowledge that our kids don't have yet, some wisdom. And as we see our kids making decisions and choosing paths and going down different roads, we as parents, we, we go, oh, be careful, be careful, because we know what happens when you do those things. And as if Paul's saying, well, I've seen this. You just need, you need to watch out for some stuff. It can get you. And so, as I thought through this, I thought, it started making me think of our church here at the chapel. And it made me think, you know, what are the consequences if we get this wrong? But then I started thinking on the other side, what are the consequences if we get this right? I mean, what could happen? Not only inside the walls of our church, but on the outside the walls of our church, if we get this right. What happens in our families and in our marriages if we get this right? What happens in our workplaces, in our schools, if we get this right? The consequences could be amazing. So let's jump in and see exactly what could happen and what Paul suggests to us here. And I'm going to break this down into two parts. The first part being this. Paul, Paul begins again like this. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are the leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you. They give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. So right away what we see here is that Paul's saying, look, in order for our church to thrive, in order for any church to thrive, there has to be one critical element here. There has to be healthy relationships between people and the leaders. And I'll admit, when I first started thinking about that, I thought, is this going to be a little weird to say? Like, am I going to have to stand up here on a Sunday morning on a stage in front of everyone and declare, you must honor me, you must respect me. Well, I don't, I don't think that's exactly right. Uh, let's see what Paul's really saying. He says this. He says, look, you, you have to honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. And this word leader I highlighted here for you because this is an important word. It's a word that encompasses a pretty big picture. In the original language, this word leader could mean people who teach, but it could mean people who direct or protect, or even provide and manage for the people. I mean, just like in our church today, there were people in given specific responsibilities in this Thessalonian church. These were people who had been called by God and uniquely gifted by God to care for this church and care for the affairs of this church. And as I sat back and I started thinking about those people in our church that have been given these responsibilities, it kind of made me smile. Because these are people that you know well. It made me think of, boy, Ken and Jen Rawson, who, who care for our students every week. They care for our students in such a way they walk with them through life. They help them navigate 
choices and questions. They help them navigate difficult things. They help them in their families. They point them to Jesus. They point to them on how to live out their faith in a school that that they're questioned for it. And I thought of people like Angie and Cecily and Ashley who serve our, our kids every week. And they don't just serve our kids, but they serve our families and they give them resources and they give them tools on how their families can thrive better together. I think of people like Meg or Sonia this morning who lead worship so faithfully week after week. And not only do they lead faithfully on the weekend, but but they lead worship throughout the week on, on how they live their life. They point to us every day of the week on what it looks like to worship God with our lives and wherever we are at during the week. I think of people like Brittany. Brittany is out in the atrium who is, who is informing people, is communicating, who's helping people get plugged in and find a place to belong so that every person that walks into this building knows that they've found a home. I think of your small group leaders that open their houses every single week so that you have a safe place to come and be prayed for and encouraged and, and just fellowship and grow together. I think of our elders who, who are faced with making challenging decisions for our church, who, who pray and, and who with wisdom they consider what is best for our church and what God might want for us. The list could go on and on. I'm only naming a few. These are our leaders who lead the charge in our church. They've been given leadership and responsibility. And I'm telling you, we are blessed, blessed by these people. And that is why Paul, I think, tells these leaders, they said, they work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. These people work hard. They work hard. And what I love is Paul's heart and his care for these people shine through in this moment. In fact, this word that Paul uses here, work, this is a word that that literally means this, to exert energy to the point of weariness and fatigue. These are people who are working hard, and I know the weight that they carry, and Paul knows that the positions in the church of leadership, it is not an easy, it's not for the faint of heart. In fact, if I could be honest with you for a moment, and I and let, I, hey, send me back to Norwalk if that's not okay. I, I, I'm telling you, this position in the church is difficult. These leadership positions are hard. This is the hardest position I've ever had in my entire life. And, and I, I, have, I have seen the weight that these roles affect you. They, they, they affect you physically, emotionally, spiritually. These leaders walk with people through some of the darkest, heaviest, most challenging times of their entire lives. And the spiritual battles that are faced on a daily basis are real, I promise you. But I want you to know this, and I hope that this makes you so proud today, that your leaders here at this church are doing this well. I see their hearts, and I get to see their care. I get to see the exhaustion on their faces and sometimes the tears in their eyes. I see them clinging to Jesus with all of their might. I see them worshiping through things and praising Jesus through things that would make most of us crumble. 
They amaze me. And they help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. You should be proud of these people. They're doing a great job. And I think that's why Paul, he follows us up by saying these words then. He says, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. This is not respect and love that is given just simply because of a title or a status. No, no, no. This is respect and honor that's given, Paul says, because of their work. They're working hard. This is given out of gratitude. It's given out of, out of care. And now that I've been in ministry for many years, I've had the opportunity to see churches that perhaps didn't function this way. I've seen churches that didn't have this kind of relationship with their leaders, and maybe you have too. Maybe you've come from a church that didn't. I've seen these churches that have people that that have these attitudes of, of man, they're attacking their leaders, or they're going around their leaders, or, or they're, they're talking bad about their leaders, or they carry an us versus them mentality with our leaders. And I'm telling you that those kind of churches aren't thriving, and if they are, they won't be for long. They can't be. It's impossible. However, I love that I get to stand up here this morning and say these things to you, because I have seen this here. I've seen these relationships here. I've felt them here. In fact, I want to just share with you an email that I received just a week or so ago from a, a Norwalk attendee. And it was one of those emails that came through at just the right time on just the right day when you needed it the most. And it was simple and it was sweet. But I want to, I want to share with you what they wrote. It just said this. Hi, Charles. I've been praying for you and your family. How are you doing? May you be filled with joy, and may the Lord be with you and give you strength. And I want you to know that I am with you too. It was that. But it was that, that those notes that help motivate us and help us be encouraged to continue on even when it gets difficult. And so I want to encourage you today who are here. When you see Pastor Eric... When you see Meg or Sonia or Ken or Jen or Cecily or Ashley or Angie or Brittany or your small group leaders or your elders or any of the other leaders, when you see these people, would you please continue to share your hearts with them? Would you, would you continue to encourage them, support them, write them notes Send them emails. And above all of those things, would you continue to pray for your leaders because they need it desperately? Because they're working hard and they're doing a great job. Encourage them. And when this happens, Paul says something incredible happens as a result. He says, when we get this right, look at how he goes. He says, live peacefully with each other. Peace is the result of us getting this right You know, the world on the outside of these walls is hard enough. We we can't be a church that thrives if that conflict makes its way to the inside of our walls. When our relationships are strong, when our leaders are working hard, when there's mutual respect between the two, then Paul says peace is the result, and it is a peace that will lead people to Jesus 
And it's a peace that most people don't possess in life. They don't understand this kind of peace. But it's a peace that is special because in our church, peace leads to safety. And safety makes families thrive. Peace, it leads us to honesty. And where there's honesty, authenticity thrives. Peace leads to care. And where there's care, love for one another thrives in our church. Peace will lead to giving. And where there is giving, generosity in our church thrives. All of these things will cause our church to thrive out of peace. Peace that leads people to Jesus. But it starts, Paul says, with the relationship between the leaders and the people. But then there's a second part of this. Paul also goes on to say, look, if we want to have a a thriving church, we also have to have healthy relationships among the people. That is among all of us here. In fact, look at how he follows this up in verses 14 and 15. He says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. To which I thought, wow, Paul, that is quite a list here. And is this going to be easy? Most definitely not. But is it worth it? It most definitely is. And it's hard because of people. People are hard. Without a doubt we are. Because, look, we come from different backgrounds. We come from different economic statuses. We come from different experiences. We come from different political viewpoints. We come from different everything. And Lord knows each and every one of us in this room has a different opinion on everything. And with all of that going on, it's amazing we even function on a Sunday morning. We all are here together, and it's bound to get messy. It makes sense that it gets messy. It's easy to love people who look like me, act like me, think like me, agree with me. But you know as well as I do, when we get more than two people in a room together, that is never going to be the case. But is it worth it? It most definitely is worth it. Because the stakes here are high. They're high because in order for our church to thrive and be effective at sharing the love of Christ on the outside of these walls, we have to love each other on the inside of the walls first. This is critical we get this right. And so I thought, okay, well then how are we going to accomplish this? How does this get done? Well, Paul gives us some ways to get this done. In fact, he lists five kind of things that we can do if we're going to be a church that thrives. So I want to highlight these for you. He says this first. He says, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Now this word urge is one urge means this isn't optional. This isn't an if you feel like it situation. This isn't just a simple suggestion. This is a plea. He's saying, do this. You have to do this. There's no option here. We urge you. And what is he urging us to do? Well, first he says, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. To which I thought, okay, this word lazy jumps out to me. And it's actually a word in the original language that can mean irresponsible. And I thought, I I need some help with this. So this author, Mark Howell, he helped me understand a little bit better about what Paul was saying. And he wrote this. He said, in today's church, for us today, Today, the irresponsible take on many forms. He 
said, from the gifted pew sitter who never gets involved to the opinionated busybody who criticizes everyone. These are the ones who undermine the authority of their leaders by stirring up dissension. They refuse to use their spiritual gifts while critiquing those who do. The list went on, but I stopped there because I think we get it. These are the irresponsible. And I think, why is Paul so strong here? Why is he speaking so strong? And we know, though, it's because of his heart for the church. It's his heart for the people. Paul knew that these attitudes of the irresponsible had potential to negatively impact the mission of the church. These were attitudes that that could cause division, that would undermine God's work in the church if they were left unchecked. So he says, look, you've got to warn these people of what can happen when this behavior is present. Be careful of them. But then he goes on to say this. He says, number two, he says, you should encourage those who are timid. When I think of timid, I, I don't know why the, the, the word that came to me was shy. I always think of timid as being shy, but that isn't really what Paul is getting at here. He says, encourage those who are timid. Really what he's saying is you could encourage those who are discouraged among you. And again, Paul's heart and his care for people shine through in this moment. Because look, he knows the danger of having the irresponsible and the discouraged together in one place. Because if we know, the irresponsible are usually people that have a high self-confidence. They're usually people that require a lot of attention. Whereas the discouraged people are people that have a low self-confidence and people that tend to be on the fringes and, and on the outside of things looking in. There is a danger when you get those two groups of people together as you can imagine. Because look, the discouraged people are usually people who are hurt. And often they're hurt by the church. They've been hurt by someone in the church. The discouraged people are, are, are people that, that carry fear. They carry hesitancy with them. And I want you to just know this today. If you're someone who's here and you are a discouraged person, I want you to know you are welcome here. You belong here. We're glad that you're here. And I hope and pray that when you leave this place, you feel encouraged today. Because that's the rest of our jobs. Maybe you have an encouraging spirit. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement. In fact, uh, Charles Swindoll, he says, if you have the gift of encouragement, this is how you ought to use it. He says, this gift of encouragement might be wrapped in an affirming word, a gentle touch, a smile, a shoulder to lean on. It may simply be our presence. You who are encouragers in the room, you have something special to offer, something that is life-changing. You encouragers in the room have what it takes to help people take their next step closer to Jesus. In fact, you might have what it takes to lead someone to their first step toward Jesus. And I love that I can stand up here today and say, I have seen this in this place because I have felt this. In this place, my heart has been encouraged so many times by many of you. And so I just want to take a a moment to say thank you. Thank you, church, for doing this well. Thank you for encouraging others. Thank you for encouraging me. Well done. I am proud of you. 
You're doing an excellent job at this. Keep it up. And then Paul goes on. He says this, we should take tender care of those who are weak. Who are weak. The weak aren't discouraged. This is a different group. The weak are usually people who lack strength. This isn't physical strength Paul's referring to. This is spiritual strength that he's referring to. The city of Thessalonica was no place for those who are weak. Just like in our culture today, you know as well as I do, the weak tend to get trampled. And this isn't to say the weak are less than. No, no, not at all. Because there's moments in life when every single one of us is going to be weak. There are things that come against us in life that cause us to question things and cause us to be weak. In fact, Paul himself, he said, look, I boast about my weakness in 2 Corinthians. He said, I boast about it because it's in my weakness that God's strength can shine through. So he's not, he's not downplaying weakness. But it's the reality of weakness. And so if you are here and you are one who is strong today, then it is up to you, it is up to I to hold tightly to those people, to support them, to come alongside of them. That is our job. Because maybe you have been following Jesus for a long time. Maybe you have, have, have seen God work in your life through the ups and downs. And you've seen his faithfulness. You've seen him, his presence in your life, and you've come out now the other side and gone, man, God has been faithful, and your faith has been strengthened as a result. And if that is you, it is up to you to come alongside oftentimes young believers who are still weak to support them and encourage them and to breathe strength into them. That is your job. But then Paul says this, number four. He says, be patient with everyone. To which I went, man, Paul, I was good till now. And then you throw this one in there. Because I, I tell you what, this is, this is not my area of strength. I lack patience. I struggle with patience. And, and, and Paul says it doesn't matter if you struggle with it. This isn't an option. This is something that you must do. Because look, as a church... As we're navigating life here together, and we're navigating life with people who are irresponsible, then we're navigating life with people who are discouraged and people who are weak. When you're navigating life with those people, patience is a must, which means you have to have a long fuse. And I thought, well, if I don't have a long fuse, how do I get that? I think it, my only explanation is this. It starts when we begin to acknowledge the long fuse that God has given to me, who, who completely doesn't deserve it. In fact, it's the prophet Joel who wrote these words about God. He said, God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's rich in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. I think, man, I'm so glad that God is slow to anger, that he's slow to anger with me. And I think when we have received so much from him, how can we not in turn offer that to others? That's where patience has to begin. And then he says this, the last thing, and I think he saved the hardest for last. He said, see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. You know, I don't care if you're on the inside or on the outside of these walls, people are going to be challenging. 
Getting along with people is hard. You've probably heard this phrase before, you know, hurt people, hurt people. Well, the fact of the matter is we are a church filled with hurt people. We are a church filled with people with sinful natures. That means our sinful nature of selfishness and self-centeredness and control and, and pride and insecurity, those things creep in. And unfortunately, even church people, their sinful nature can rear up often when you least expect it. We're a messy group of imperfect people. We are his church. And so Paul's saying to them, and he's saying to us, look, for the sake of your relationships, for the sake of your church, and for the sake of Jesus Christ, we have to lay that down and we have to rise above. We have to embrace our new selves and who we are created to be. We are new creations in Christ. And that is where we, we seek our strength. You know, and I think his plea here, has nothing to do with someone deserving kindness. No, no, it has everything to do with our pursuit of goodness. In fact, I've shared this with my daughters. You've probably shared it with your own kids a hundred times. When they are struggling with relationships at school or when they have a kid that's giving them a hard time or they're wrestling to understand how to navigate things, we've said, you know what, you can't control someone else's behavior, right? But what can you control? Your response, that's what you can control. You can't control what someone else does, but you can control how you react. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. But then the problem with, that I have with this is he ramps it up one step further because look at the last three words of this. He says, this is to who? All people. That means that isn't just to people within our church that we are to behave this way. This is the people on the outside of the walls of the church that we are to behave this way. He, uh, he, he ramps it up to which you go, but Charles, they don't deserve it. And I go, you're right, they don't. But, but Charles, you, you don't know what they did to me. Yes, I do, because they did it to me too. But Charles, they hurt me. I know they did, I know. But here's the deal, doesn't that make you even more grateful for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? That, that look, even in our brokenness, God loved us. And even when we turned our back on him, he never left us. That's the good news. That, that even though you and I deserve death, he, Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. That is the good news of the gospel. And isn't that our mission? And isn't that our, our desire is to become more and more like Jesus every single day? How can we not? And so I echo Paul's concerns here. Because I've seen and experienced the pitfalls that can happen to a thriving church if we're not vigilant in our efforts here. But I also, I echo Paul's love and his care for those people. Because I tell you this, I have a love for this church and a love for you that honestly keeps me up at night. If we're going to be a church to continue to thrive, then we have to be a church that has healthy relationships with their leaders and healthy relationships with each other. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Is it worth it? Without a doubt. 
So let's continue to thrive. I know this is hard, and so I want to pray for you. And then we're going to close in responding together. So let, let me pray for you in this. Lord, I pray that we would tune our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. Though we fall and though we fail and though we tend to wander like lost sheep, Lord, I pray a prayer of gratitude and thanks for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness and your patience and your strength. Lord, I pray that we would be Truly, people who would reflect your love by the way that we treat our leaders and by the way that we treat one another, Lord Jesus. And above all else in this place, above all else, God, may you always reflect you. Would you be honored and glorified? And may you receive all praise, Lord, the one who is most worthy. We love you so much. It's in your name, your powerful name, I pray. Amen. Hey, would you stand with me and let's just respond together this morning before we go.